The name of our town is Grover's Corners, New Hampshire. Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Daw. And this week, we are discussing Our Town, the fourth? Third movie in 1940. I think just third? Yeah, you're right. The third. Ugh. And yeah, I think I want to start out with the wildest thing in the world from the Wikipedia page for this, where it says, The film was a faithful reproduction of the play, except for two significant changes. The film used scenery, whereas the play had not, and the events of the third act, which in the play revolve around the death of one of the main characters, were turned into a dream from which Emily awakens. Which is a bit like saying that you have a faithful adaptation of Hamlet, except now it's a musical, and this Hamlet fucks. <laughs> I, I actually think having scenery in our town is less of a huge deal, because, like, adaptation's good adaptation, you know? But it's like saying, it's Hamlet, except for it's played by all women, and it's like, oh, okay, that's like a thing, okay, that's an artistic decision, and also, in the end, everyone lives happily ever after. <laughs> no, you can't just take the meta-theatrical thing out of our town, though. But I don't think they do entirely. Oh, they do entirely. And this movie is miserable because of it. They literalize fucking everything. This is a terrible adaptation. Well, but they do have the stage manager as an actual on-screen narrator. It's not like a voiceover, which was what I was afraid of before we started it. Eh, yeah, but like, that honestly is such a small portion of like what you could do with the stage manager. It's like they didn't make the single stupidest decision they could have. They just <laughs> made every other bad decision. I saw a production of Our Town that was actually wildly praised that was in New York a few years ago by... Oh, shit. Who was the director? Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it used scenery, but it used scenery in a really smart way. David Cromer, that was who it was. I don't think there's anything wrong with having there be actual sets in our town. I think there's something wrong with ignoring the point of the meta-theatricality of our town and just going, what if we just made it a literal town with a bunch of houses and we just like faithfully build that town? Well, then you've kind of missed the point of the thing. I mean, they did have the map paintings and stuff that they changed when it was like, not our town in 1940, but in 1905. I mean, I understand what you're getting at, but I also think that there were like nods to it until about, well, until like the third act where they just scrapped it entirely and were like, let's do the filmiest film thing we could possibly film. Yeah. I, the only praise that I have for this film is that there are scenes that are very beautifully staged, even if they're not really of a piece with the whole idea of Our Town. And again, I'm not a big fan of this play. I said that last week. And I certainly didn't walk away from this film feeling like a bigger fan of it. <laughs> See, this is actually, just before we started recording, I said, I think there's one potential real disagreement. I walked away from this movie with a much higher opinion of Our Town, the play, because this movie is such dog shit. And it's because it doesn't understand the play at all. <laughs> yeah. What's amazing to me is I went to see Cromer's adaptation that everybody raved about. I was super impressed by it. 
And my takeaway from it was the production. And I have to admit that I still, and it's probably like the third time watching this movie that I've seen Our Town. I've had to read it because I majored in dramatic literature. So they force you. And I didn't remember the plot, except that Emily dies at the end. And then she like talks about her one unimportant day that was the most important thing. Because all moments in life are precious or whatever. Because I really just don't enjoy the plot of this play at all. <laughs> I guess is really what I'm getting at. <laughs> uh, I mean, I have not seen the critically lauded production you're talking about. I would not be surprised if it was actually bad. Because another thing this movie made me think about is, I think in terms of production quality, in terms of casting quality, in terms of acting quality, this is about on par with that of Mice and Men we've watched. It's just like a little bit lazy, and they mostly wanted to do the big, famous, very important play. And I think, boy, a mediocre of Mice and Men works way better than a mediocre Our Town. <laughs> just way, way, way better. <laughs> Well, because you're doing a further a field adaptation, I think. I mean, there was also a play, but it was a novel to a play to a movie instead of a play that is actually required to deal with things that can kind of only be dealt with in a theater space because it's about the mechanics of theater. Sure. And that's the part of it I like. I don't know. <laughs> I think you have maybe watched three bad productions of Our Town because I always think that it is a bad interpretation of the third act that every moment of life is precious. And I think the slightly more complex thing is you do not know what parts of life are precious when you are living it. Okay, I mean, fine. I'll totally accept that. I don't think it was a bad production. <laughs> that's that's possible. I mean, here's what I'll say about it. And as somebody who is like going to bat about the meta theatricality of it, it killed on that level because they used chairs, like wooden chairs and like maybe a wooden table for the whole thing. They did not use a ladder. And then on the day that Emily is remembering the upstage wall opened up and there was like a full kitchen and they were cooking bacon and it was like in her memory everything became so clear and real and the sense memory was all like active in there which i thought was brilliant okay yeah but the story of these people who live in this town and these two kids who fall in love and get married straight out of high school doesn't really do anything for me eh, i mean the two big problems with mediocre to bad productions of our town and let's concentrate on this movie because I have seen it, and it's a mediocre to bad production of Our Town, is one, Emily's life is not played as a tragedy until she's dead. That, like, there's nothing tragic or bittersweet about this very brilliant woman having a life completely circumscribed by marrying the, like, town pretty boy <laughs> and then dying at 27. Is she specifically 27? Yeah, she gets married at 17, and then it's nine years later. Oh, uh, Okay. I apparently always miss that because I was like, that's a, such a specific number. You have to have pulled that from the text. I think from the math, she's either 26 or 27. And I probably got it wrong since we've made such a big deal out of it. Anyway, she's in her mid to late 20s. <laughs> yeah. And like, if that is the point where it turns and the uncomplicatedly before then her life was great, you did our town wrong. <laughs> and also if you get to the 
end and the like weird dream space stuff of the afterlife is the first time the audience is questioning the nature of the stage manager and the nature of the reality here. That everything before that just kind of feels like, well, this is all very cut and dry and they just are using very simple sets. Then you're missing the point of our town because the rules of how the stage manager is and isn't omniscient are extremely weird in extremely specific ways. And really is supposed to make you feel kind of off kilter about whether you can trust this guy or not. Mm -hmm. And like, I think it is so easy to make this a loving pay on to Americana and small town life. And like, that ain't what it is. (laughs) And all of the things that are bad about this production are that it plays all this stuff incredibly straight. And it's not a very good play when you do that. There are just tons of pieces of dialogue in this movie from our town that this movie tries to make incredibly important because, like, it's in the script. Therefore, it has to be very important that they're making small talk right now. Now, some things just aren't important. (laughs) Purposefully, this is about not letting you get a handle on what is or isn't important. Because in life, you cannot get a handle always on what is and isn't important. So there's a scene in the second act when Emily and George are sitting and discussing the fact that she thinks that he's stuck up now because he's like a big baseball hero of the school or whatever. And they make it into this like incredible romantic comedy disclosure of affection. Mm-hmm. And that is one part of the play that I always read as awkward. And it's not like this is the moment where they realize they've always loved each other. It's like, well, this was the moment where they realized they always loved each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. I hope that distinction was clear. <laughs> George is kind of a dipshit, as I've already said, but... <laughs> That moment where he goes, so I guess this is a pretty important conversation we've been having, as they both sort of figure out they're engaged now. Right. He's not supposed to feel that stupid. It is supposed to feel like it kind of sneaks up on both of them. And it does not feel that way. And the shot with them like sitting at the table together and it's like a straight ahead shot on them. And it's fascinating, actually, because I'm now thinking of the Cromer production and the fact that they were just sort of like hanging out among the one or two wooden tables and the staging was that they were like fairly far apart and they're just kind of like shooting the shit yeah so when you have that moment of wait actually this conversation we did not intend to have it wasn't let's have a talk and it feels that way in the film i get why martha scott got nominated of everybody in this cast but i don't even think she's that great i think she's good at doing what the movie wants her to do but i think the movie is wrong (laughs) about how to play emily Because everybody is so overplaying stuff that should be just like small town gossip. It's like, have any of you ever been to the fucking Northeast in your life? No one in this movie production of Our Town talks around anything at any point, which is wild. (laughs) Everyone is playing every line of dialogue as directly about what it says it's about. Yeah. Including things where it's like, well, then just cut that scene. Like the scene where Emily is talking to her mom about if she's pretty or not. Oh God, I hated that scene. If you're not going to do the subtext of that scene at all, then why even fucking do that scene? (laughs) 
Like, none of those lines mean anything or are important at all unless you are acknowledging what no one is saying, which it doesn't do. I hated that scene. The scene with the choir master who apparently drinks too much. Oh, yeah. And there's the moment where one of the ladies in the choir says, oh, no, he's actually better than he was. And then the next time when she's talking to her husband immediately after is like, oh, he was worse than I've seen him in a really long time. The way that I've always seen that character of the choir master played, he's never been obviously drunk. Yeah. Because he wouldn't be. He may be a total alcoholic, but he's like keeping it together and he just comes off within the production as like, oh, he's a grumpy piece of shit. And then you find out like actually he's an alcoholic. And there are no layers to this Our Town. It is all extremely shallow and on the surface. And it doesn't make sense when you play it that way. Exactly. To indicate that, let us go through the plot of Our Town in about two minutes. Because if you don't do the subtext, it is a play in three acts with a semi-omniscient narrator named the stage manager, who will give you a lot of facts about this small town called, God, I always blank on the name of the fucking town. Grover's Corners. Grover's Corners, which should be a really memorable name, but for some reason just slides out of my brain like the fucking Slenderman from Doctor Who. (laughs) I mean, I think it's kind of intended to be that way, that it's like the most whatever name of a town. Right. Uh, But... Uh, It's this New England town called Grover's Corners. The first act is just sort of a day in the life that establishes these, I mean, establishes the whole town, but mainly establishes these two families, one of which is the town doctor with a oldest son named George, and the other of which is, what is Guy Kibbe's ostensible job again? It's always so confusing to me what that guy does. I don't even know. But he has an oldest daughter named Emily, who is kind of too bright and too hot for this town. You kind of have to read that in, and this movie does not help you read that in at all. Oh, Emily's dad is the editor of the local newspaper. There we go. Not that that's ever important. Not really, no. Then Act 2 is about Emily and George's wedding with a flashback to the day they got engaged. And then Act 3 is a very, very hard-to-stage meta-theatrical rumination on the nature of death and the afterlife and what is eternal about man. But in, like, what it's actually doing plot-wise, the stage manager just goes, it's nine years later, all these people are dead, one of them is Emily. And then you follow Emily as she sort of learns how the afterlife works which is that you have access to your memories in perfect clarity, but you don't want them because the painfulness of the life that you have lost is overwhelming. And the fact that nobody appreciates the joy of life while they're living it, that these little simple moments are actually really important and she's unable to convey that because she's dead. Right. And it's a memory. Right. God, the other thing about having Emily wake up and that all be a dream is that it means they cut the best dialogue in the entire play because they cut her and the stage manager talking about the nature of death and whether anybody appreciates it. And she just like wails like, nobody appreciates it, nobody appreciates it, and then goes like, oh, thank God, it was all a dream. And the movie's over, which is crazy. 
like King Lear having a happy ending level crazy. Just <laughs> Yeah, it also takes all of the bite out of it. For sure. And you know what's really weird? So while I was watching the movie, as soon as Emily dies, and she's this like at first disembodied voice, and then she's this way overexposed, glowing sort of angel creature, which is also really not on the right level. <laughs> I had the thought, I was like, oh, they're not gonna let her die. And then I was like, they can't do that. That's That just kills the whole story. Oh, oh, they did. Oh, oh. See, I could not believe it. I almost texted you. They did what now? <laughs> as much as like, it has always been the joke of Hollywood that the producers are always going to come in and demand a happy ending. For our town? <laughs> For, I, uh, I, I, it literally came as a huge shock to me that they would do this. Like, I did not for a single moment think, well, then she'll just wake up and it'll all be fine. <laughs> because, oh my God. I didn't know how they were going to do it, but it popped into my head where I was like, oh, they're not going to follow through on this. And I don't know why I thought that. I think part of it was that they made the whole tone of her revisiting that day as if she's this sort of angel. It was so off to begin with. I was just busy being pissed about that because... Yeah, I, fair. Usually what you do in that scene where there's two Emilys because there's both the dead Emily and the memory of the day that she was living is that those two characters inhabit the same body. And you do really interesting things with how and when Emily switches between making these really earnest pleas from the afterlife that no one in her life can hear, and when just having to live that day sort of takes over the body again, and she has to go back to doing stuff. Right. And it kind of ruins the scene to just superimpose a second Emily. <laughs> you then don't pay any attention to the memory world Emily. She's, like, boring and not real and not important, which is a bad choice that they shouldn't have made. They made a lot of bad choices in this film. A lot of them. What I will say, though, is that there were moments of staging that were actually quite beautiful in a theatrical way, had they been in a different thing. <laughs> I was going to say production, because they don't feel filmic. I'm specifically thinking of, well, there's a few of them. So the choir master scene, the way that it's shot, there's a big shadow of him on the wall conducting everybody. And his shadow is very sinister. And then you like go down to see this like small sort of unhappy man who is making it. That's a nice metaphor for a different thing. <laughs> Not for this, because he doesn't have any kind of power or control. And there's a scene at the funeral for Emily. I'm a sucker for fucking umbrellas on stage. I think they're the greatest prop ever. <laughs> and there's a bunch of big black umbrellas and they're arranged in such a way that it, like, it's very aesthetically pleasing. And there are little moments like that that are very lovely, but they're in the wrong show slash film <laughs> i think that's very true and like i think one of the wildest things about this is that it feels like casting and directing and art direction were all on like wildly different wavelengths mm. depending on what scene you're in sometimes one of them hits it out of the park right some people in this are very well cast some people put in really good performances for a couple of scenes 
Some shots are really beautifully realized or conceived, but I'm really struggling to think of even a single scene where it all really comes together. Yeah. I was going to give it the opening, but like really from that opening, I was like, oh, this is going to be a train wreck. (laughs) When you're having the stage manager list off all the different parts of town and then like actually those parts of town are there and he's actually pointing to them. I'm like, oh, we're fucking doomed. But you're right that it's very... Like, the bit of it is very pretty. Boy, that was dismissive. No, but I think you're totally right to say the bit of it, because that's what it is, is that there are bits, and that those bits, they're good bits, but they're the kind of thing that you do in an improv class and then go, oh, that doesn't work for this. If you're, like, doing developmental theater, you go, okay, well, I'm going to file that away as, like, a thing I can use some other time in some other place. Yes, I don't want to blame the actors. We have like a half dozen actors in this that I think we've called out before as like being good, especially Guy Kibbe, who I think is a really good example of there's an actor we like who I think is eh, mediocre to bad in this movie. And like, I know that ain't Guy Kibbe because he's good and he's often good playing this kind of befuddled barely holding it together kind of guy. The problem is, like, I think that his performance is absolutely what was required of him. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't want to blame him. But what was required of him was the wrong thing. I think that's all over this movie. Yeah. Often there are actors that are given it their all in a totally wrong direction. You know, there's the kind of a, like, if you meet one asshole, then that's, you're just meeting an asshole. But if you meet 10 assholes, then you're the asshole thing. (laughs) That, that like, one actor being that off is like, well, they were just going full Nick Cage that day, I guess. But, like, when this much of the cast is doing it, it's just gotta be a directing problem. Probably the worst offender in here is William Holden as George. Yeah. What's fascinating to me is that he was 22 in this film. Jesus. He plays George as if he is 30 years old pretending to be 12. Yeah, that is... I honestly was like, oh, this is the first time they've cast a 35-year-old to play a teenager. It turns out, nope. And Martha Scott, who plays Emily... And I think much better than he plays George. For sure. Was six years older than he was. Jesus. She reads when she needs to be 16, she reads as 16. Absolutely. And like, I think she is one of the only actors getting at any of the subtext of our town whatsoever. The moments of it are few and far between. But, like, she's one of the only people in this cast that are, like, really giving you that inner life outside of the moment in the wedding where they just drop in as voiceover everyone's inner life. (laughs) Yeah. I actually thought that her speech at the wedding, the monologue that she has, that's really like a sort of stream of consciousness panic about getting married and how she feels alone and she doesn't want to do this and she wants to go home. Mm -hmm. I thought that her delivery was actually quite good and that it was so undercut by the way that that shot was framed, where she's like glowing And it's just on her face and it's in voiceover, I think. And like, she's not talking. It's just like what's going on in her head. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The choice of voiceover 
that's what I mean about the literalism of this is just all the things where they're like, we don't have to do the meta theatrical thing. We can just have all of their inner monologues be voiceover is like, no, that break from reality is super important. The fact that they all just stand up in the middle of this wedding and start spouting their inner monologue out loud from their mouths, like, is super important. Yeah. You don't have to, you know, have everything be a fucking ladder. You don't have to Dogma 95 it. But, like, you do have to have some acknowledgement of the effect of the unreality of it. And when you make that switch, you have to think about something that unmoors people from reality that much. Because if it's just a straight, like, here's three days in the life of a small town, then this is the most boring play ever made. Which makes this one of the most boring movies ever made. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Should we rate this movie so that I can go immediately to sleep from having watched it? (laughs) Uh, yeah, um, four? I was gonna say- I could go lower. (laughs) I was gonna go down to a three, but I'll accept a four. Give me your justification for a three, because I'm not confident that four is low enough. Um, my justification for a three is we said before that there were three departments of this movie that sometimes got it right, and I'm like, that averages out to, like, almost a third of this movie was- doing something right at any given moment. That's a very technical way to go about it, and I agree with you. I feel like I was giving it a four out of, like, there were a few pretty shots, and, like, that's not enough. Usually we reserve a three for something that's, like, technically proficient dog shit. Yeah. And, like, this isn't even necessarily technically proficient. Yeah, but it's also, like, the underlying play of Our Town isn't especially if you do it wrong, like the greatest thing on earth, but it's not lives of a Bengal Lancer either. Like, right? Like it's not, Yeah. this isn't yeah. racist. It's not offensive. <laughs> right. And like, we've watched a lot of movies that are actively offensive. <laughs> this isn't, and it's fine. It's just like, not a very good production. Doesn't bring very much to the table of a thing that I don't know if I would really go to the mat for our town as hard as I have, except in the context of like, well, it's not fucking this. The quality of our town is significantly higher than this movie. Yeah, well, I will say that unquestionably. And when I say that I didn't walk away from this with a much higher uh, view of the play, I'm saying like, as a person watching this movie, you wouldn't. Yeah, for sure. If this is your first exposure to our town then you would walk away thinking everyone who has ever said this play was good had lost their mind (laughs) yeah uh should you watch this movie obviously not (laughs) yeah maybe rent no i'm i'm no don't it's available for free it's technically not in the public domain but because there's no rights holder to sue it's all over youtube yeah So you could, if you wanted to, check our math, put yourself through the hour and a half of this movie, Um, but don't. Nah. Because while there would not be a monetary cost to yourself, the other costs would be severe. Yes, that is true. So for next week, we are watching All This and Heaven 2, starring Betty Davis, which is not usually a good sign on this podcast. I'm realizing I have like a Pavlovian reaction against Betty Davis now. 
that I've developed from this podcast. That, like, I see those eyes and I go, what is she plotting? What is she going to do to us? (laughs) How bad is my next hour and a half going to (laughs) be? And yeah, you guys get to find out next week. And until then... This was a movie and that was a real problem. (laughs) It was real determined to be a movie and that rarely went well for it. Ah, goodbye, everybody. Bye. Well, I guess I better be getting off the baseball field. Thanks for the talk, Emily. Afternoon, Mrs. Webb. Hello, George. So long, Emily. So long, George.